Micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises are the backbone of many economies, representing 95% of all companies worldwide and accounting for 60% of employment. In developing economies, they contribute around 35% of GDP, and in developed countries, around 50%. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. My name is Kimonique Powell, a young professional, here at the WTO and your host in this Overcoming Obstacles to Trade series. Trading across borders can be rewarding and at the same time challenging. Whereas big companies are integrated into global value chains, have greater access to finance, and have expertise in dealing with export and import regulations, logistics, and the like, smaller companies tend to go through a learning-by-doing process. In this season of the podcast, you will hear how micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises, MISMIs, are confronting, overcoming, outwitting, and avoiding trade obstacles. So let's talk trade. In this episode, we focus on the garments and textiles industry. This is not only an important economic sector, but one that is key to meeting one of man's basic needs, the need for clothing. Joining us in this episode, we have Natalie Chayayadi, Operations Manager of CV, Widya Triguna, a family-owned and operated garment manufacturing service business based in Bali, Indonesia. Natalie will be sharing with us her experience operating a small business involved in international trade, noting the challenges faced and how she has overcome them. We also have in studio Catherine Lungist of the Economic Affairs Division here at the WTO. Catherine will add a WTO perspective to the discussion, focusing on policies, tools, and flexibilities within the WTO system to help businesses like Whittier Triguna overcome barriers to trade. Ladies, thank you for joining us and welcome. To start the discussion, I will invite you to introduce yourselves, starting with Natalie. So hello, everyone. My name is Natalie. I was born and raised up in Bali, Indonesia. And currently, I manage my family business, a clothing manufacturer named Sefe Widya Triguna. We'll turn over to Catherine. Thank you for having me with you. My name is Catherine. I'm an economic affairs officer at the World Trade Organization, and I've helped to support the WTO micro, small, and medium-sized enterprise informal working group since 2017. I also understand that you both know each other. So I guess my role here today is really to broker a conversation between friends, as we do hope that through this series, the WTO will cement its place as a partner and friend to micro, small and medium-sized enterprises. Natalie, can you tell us a bit about CV Widya Triguna, your business? When was this business established? By whom? And what kind of products do you manufacture? I'm also very curious to know how the business got its name. Is there a special meaning in Indonesian? Sefewidia Triguna was established on July 1994 by my parents. So this month, we will be celebrating our 29th anniversary, which is almost my life. (laughs) (laughs) So when they started this business, my parents, back in the 90s, uh, they were mainly making tie-dye clothes, rasta clothes, and all the fashionable clothes at that time, like loose dresses, colorful clothes. Interestingly enough, since the beginning, most of our clients are overseas. 
we don't really have a lot of local or Indonesian clients. We mainly produce resort wear, dresses, tops, pants, shorts made of cotton, viscose, linen, and a mixture of those. Since 2016, after we decided to implement ethical manufacturing principles, we also gained some small-scale clients who focuses more on sustainability. In terms of the name, there is actually meaning behind the name. Three means three. Guna means value. Widya is the name of the business that my parents had before selling vegetarian dishes. They were ahead of their time. Maybe that's why they were out of business. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, the name of that small street vendor was Widya. So they keep that old name and then just put it into the new philosophy that the business should have three values for God, for people, and also for nature. Just a very, very beautiful story. I also picked up on something. You mentioned Rasta clothing. Is there any link to the Caribbean? Are your customers in the Caribbean or something? I, I think because this is linked to Rastafari. Yes. So since 2004, we had a regular client based in the Caribbeans. Our clients located in St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, and Antigua and Barbuda. So they're making this colorful clothes made of Indonesian batik wax technique, but with their own color and their tropical motif and vibe. Ah, that's lovely. I'm also an island girl. I'm from Jamaica. So, you know, <laughs> this oh, is very yes. interesting. Congratulations on the business being in operation for 29 years. What are some of the initial hurdles that your parents, I'm, I'm sure they may or may not have had this conversation with you, but what are some of the initial hurdles that they face in setting up an export business? It was back in 90s and early 2000. As you probably remember, there was no internet mobile phones. I still remember the mobile phone was as big as a brick and we still use fax, fax machine. I think the biggest hurdle was information, information needed to establish the business, to be able to trade internationally. What my parents did at that time was they partner with a shipping agent who are more proficient in doing the international trade so they can just focus on manufacturing the goods. I'm going to turn over to our expert here at the WTO, Catherine. So we just heard from Natalie about some of the challenges that her parents would have faced initially in setting up this business. From where you sit, uh, including the research that you've done here at the WTO, why do you think it is especially difficult for small businesses to get involved in trade? I think that exactly what she said is is a very common experience by many small business owners who want to begin to trade. But what we've heard in terms of surveys and other information coming from small businesses and why it is that they have challenges accessing international markets really boil down to two main issues, which are access to information and access to finance. And these come up repeatedly over and over again as the leading problems for why small businesses don't join international markets. In fact, we have a study that's forthcoming that's based on survey statistics from Meta, Meta's Future of Business survey. 
And again, the responses show precisely that these two are the top reasons for businesses not engaging. There are others as well. In conversations that we've had with small businesses, logistics in particular is a challenge. So I think we've heard that already. How do you ship your products from point A to point B? How do you do that within a cost that's affordable for MISMEs, which ties back into the access to finance? Smaller businesses have fewer resources, and it's much more challenging for them to move their goods and services across borders. Additionally, there are challenges in terms of tariffs and customs duties, which tie in again with access to information, understanding what it is that you'll need to pay to get your goods across border, but also where you can even find the information to begin with to know what it is that you will be facing when you get to a border. I think that is so informative. And I want to hear from you a bit later on about how we're working here at the W2 to help small businesses overcome these challenges. But before I get into that, besides the challenges that you've mentioned, which include, of course, the tariff issues, customs duty, access to information, finance, small businesses are also acutely impacted by external and exogenous shocks, including, like more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. Natalie, how did the pandemic affect your operation? It truly affected our operation and our business in general. I still remember March 2020. In the span of a week, I got repeated calls from different people and said they will cancel my order. So it's either they cancel it or they said, Natalie, if you have finished it, can you just keep it until sometime in the future? So it truly affected us in terms of uh, our sales. Not only that, the problem is even if we got orders or even if we can make sales, we cannot really send it. Because remember, most of our clients are overseas. So I always need means of transportation to ship the goods somewhere around the world at that time. Because the border is closed, right? So no ship, no air consignment available. There were only door-to-door deliveries. So it's been a challenge to negotiate with the client, even if they wanted to order the cost of logistics raised twice from their original cost before pandemic because some of the raw materials and garment accessories got imported from other countries. We also had some scarcities on those that led to price increase and that actually made our operation even tighter because we're trying to balance the high cost of logistics which the client will pay extra. And then we're trying not to raise our price because we don't want to lose the order. But then the fact is all the other prices were increasing. So that's how it truly, truly impacted our business. So we're hearing a multiplicity of effects here uh, from your business operation in the sense that you also import intermediaries for your inputs. I didn't get much on your actual staff complement and so forth, but I'm assuming that they also would be impacted. And then the customers, the costs, the logistics and all of that that is involved. Catherine, would you mind weighing on this? Because I'm hearing supply chain disruption. I'm also hearing logistics. Can you tell us from the WTO perspective what that looked like for uh, small businesses going through the pandemic? Precisely what Natalie said is the story that we heard repeatedly by small businesses. The order stopped 
the transportation was impossible. It was a complete shutdown in terms of trade for them. I think it's important to understand that small and medium-sized businesses are kind of the basis of much of trade. Who is providing the inputs? Who is providing the goods that are sold later on? It's them. And they're the ones that have the least wiggle room in terms of their sales and business continuity to go forward. Who is it whose orders get canceled? It's the small businesses, whereas the larger ones who are importing it, they're the ones who are able to continue forward and change their operations for trade. What I want to touch on as well is the resilience that we saw here at the WTO by certain small businesses. Natalie is an example of this. Her business was able to continue despite these challenges and setbacks. This is also something that comes through and is one of the benefits that small businesses can contribute to the economy in terms of their innovation and their resilience. If I may add to that conversation, what Catherine just mentioned was true. During the pandemic, we did all we could and we pivoted to making and selling things that people need at that time. At that time, people, they only need, number one, face masks. So every day in my factory, we make countless face masks and then sell it locally in Bali. And I also open a retail shop in one of the marketplace in Indonesia. That was my first try branching out to retail. And then we also made pajamas because people stayed at home. They don't need clothes to go out. They, they said, I need pajamas. So we made pajamas. So I think pivoting is key to survive. And we need to be able to read the market, what they need, and we need to react to it pretty quickly because the demand was not going to be there all the time. This is not like a regular time, right? Thankfully, we had our retained earning, and that's how we financed the business for two and a half years during the pandemic and also the new clients, small-scale clients, that also contributed a little bit. The biggest takeaway that I could get is that if you can survive this, you can go on and survive any other things. I think that's a beautiful story of resilience. I also wanted to know from you, Natalie, besides, of course, yours and your mother's input into pivoting the business in the face of COVID-19, did you receive any sort of external support? One of my... Toastmasters friends, Toastmasters International, he recommended me to mentoring program. And that's when I met Catherine in that program. It was called Asian Women Exporter Program. And I got selected as one of the mentees. And it was just at the right time because that was the time where we decided to do everything by our own because we didn't have extra funds to hire cargo partners. Some of the cargos were closed down. So I decided to, okay, let's try to do it ourselves. Let's learn something new and branch out. So first I realized that our business license needs to be upgraded if we want to export. I wasn't aware of this before because before I always had like cargo partner and they had like all the licenses and they fill all the paperwork. And now I need to do it everything by myself. And when it comes to paperwork, it was a real learning curve. In the beginning, I was researching 
and trying to make the invoice, filling up all the different papers. I didn't really know what HS code was. <laughs> and when I asked the mentor in that uh, program, he directed me to several sources, including WTO's uh, Global Trade Help Desk. And that's how I find the correct HS code for my products. And there I can see like the flow of the trade process. I mean, I've done it before, but now I see it in a more comprehensive way. And that helps expand my knowledge. I wanted to bring uh, Catherine in on this. So Natalie mentioned a number of terms, HS Code, Global Trade Help Desk. Can you weigh in on this as our expert? First of all, I want to say that um, your use of the Global Trade Help Desk is precisely what the WTO, ITC, the International Trade Center, and UNCTAD, who are the three partners on this initiative, are looking for. In fact, the Global Trade Help Desk is being put together by the ITC, and it is an ongoing project that includes a number of elements that are important for small businesses to trade. And it allows for market research from economy to economy and for goods uh, as well, which goods an exporter is looking to send abroad. They've also recently included information on e-commerce and digital opportunities, including some of the top marketplaces that are available and digital payments coverage. Because there's a lot of information out there that's hard to find and access, and it's not in an easy one-stop shop. But in terms of terminology, this is one of the larger hurdles for small businesses because there are a lot of terms that are trade-specific and that require understanding, such as HTS, which we've already gone over, the harmonized tariff system. What is that? It's a system put together by the World Customs Organization. It covers 98% of international trade, and it's a, a numerical code that applies to every product that has been thought up by policymakers. And of course, there are many more. So I think at the six-digit level, there are about 5,000 HS numbers, um, and it goes further down depending on the economy and how detailed they want their HS classification to be. So whilst we've spent a lot of time highlighting the challenges, there are tools available to help small businesses navigate a complex trading environment. This has been a very interesting conversation, but I want to wrap up. My question to you, Natalie, is what is the best part about operating a business that is involved in international trade? And what would be your advice to other micro, small and medium sized enterprises desiring to get involved in trade? It gives such a thrill knowing that a product that is made in Bali can be sold in, let's say, in Japan, in the Caribbean, in the U.S., in the Netherlands or Australia. It actually gave us like a boost of confidence that, hey, our product can compete in the international stage. We, we got it. I think this is a great way to believe that small business has the power to develop even more because if we focus on our strength instead of what we don't have, I think we can make a lot of things. Some tips for small businesses who are not sure on going on trade, but they want to try it. Number one, I think you should be aware of the flow of the global trade. Understand what it requires, for example, uh, the payment system making sure that it's written down in your terms of uh, contract or in terms of reference that, for example, uh, you got 
to be paid before the product is shipped to ensure that you will receive like your full payment. Because I have heard several stories from some of my friends or small businesses whom I know personally that they trust the person and then they didn't get paid. There's nothing wrong with trust, but when you deal with new clients or new people, always make sure that you get paid because it's your right. That's one. Number two, I think if you are still unsure, always ask for help. Do your own due diligence for the clients or for the process or when you pick up the airplane partner or the shipper or the door-to-door deliveries. Also, if you, like me, like to do a little bit of research, you can browse the internet and also the WTO already have like a good website that you can browse. I've seen some videos and they're pretty informative. Last but not least, if chances arise for you to do business internationally and you're still unsure, just do it. Just do it. You will learn from your experience. Just like my father and my mother, when they started their business, they sent the first shipment to the UK, their first client, and everything was wrong. (laughs) So it was a failed shipment. But then the second shipment, I think it was only like a third that was failed. And after that, everything was right. So it's just a process and it takes time and effort. But if it's something that you want to try, you should do it. Beautiful. Just do it. Uh, Catherine, (laughs) my question to you is, what is the best part about supporting these micro, small and medium sized enterprises through your work at the WTO? It's truly hearing the stories of all of the small businesses that are out there, their innovations, and the entrepreneurs that have taken these steps that I personally would find very intimidating and have gone past the challenges that are there and made it into international trade. This was a very uh, fun conversation, a very informative one, and I'm, I'm hoping that you enjoyed yourself as much as I did. I want to end by saying happy trading and do spread the word as we seek to integrate other micro, small and medium sized enterprises into the global trading system. So this was the opening episode of the Overcoming Trade Obstacles podcast series. You heard it from Natalie. Learning to trade is a process. It takes time and effort. But if it is something that you want to try, do it. The next episode brings us to Côte d'Ivoire in West Africa, a country that supplies about 40% of all the cocoa produced in the world. While many cocoa farmers struggle with low and unpredictable incomes, the bulk of the profit is made at the end of the cocoa value chain in chocolate-producing countries. We hear from a cocoa cooperative that is trying to establish fair partnerships, economic empowerment of women, and other innovative policies to overcome one of the biggest obstacles to equitable trade, poverty. Until next time, thank you for listening.